Well, thank you again, all of you who participated. Thank you, Steve, for that prayer. And uh, I'll say again to, to Will, thank you not only for singing for us, but uh, thank you for uh, bearing witness at your school for Christ. Man, that's what we want to do, uh, is we want to raise up people and send them out, right? And not just kids, but adults as well. We want to be a place that's always growing servants, missionaries, witnesses to Christ. And uh, then bear witness in our work, in our school, and everywhere else we are. So I'm just going to reiterate today some of the things we've already said in this short talk and, and uh, hopefully help us to embrace the joy of this season. Let me open in just a short word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this Advent season. Thank you for the Christmas story. And will you fill us, even now, with hope and peace and joy? It's in Jesus' name and we pray. Amen. So, joy is at the center of the Christian story. And I just want to take a minute to look at the scriptures around this story and some of the places where joy is explicitly mentioned. Okay? We'll start with Luke chapter 1. This is with the announcement about John the Baptist coming. The angel said to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Further on in that chapter, we read about Elizabeth and Mary talking. And she says, Elizabeth says, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Later on that chapter, same chapter, Luke chapter 1. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Luke chapter 2. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And the shepherds further on, that same chapter, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. One more passage we'll look at here. When the wise men saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. These are just examples from the story, the Christmas story that we read about, where explicitly the Bible says there was great joy. Joy with the uh, forerunner, John the Baptist, coming. Joy that John the Baptist somehow... Uh, Elizabeth identifies his leaping in her womb 
uh, when Mary comes to talk to Elizabeth about her pregnancy, that joy, uh, the, the, the leap of joy in her womb, the, the magi rejoicing, the shepherds rejoicing, Mary and Elizabeth rejoicing, this is a story of great joy. And it's joy in worship, by the way. Did you notice that? Mary burst into a song of praise. The shepherds return, and they're praising God. May I say to you that worship in the Scripture is intimately tied to joy. It's not just that. And sometimes we worship when we don't feel like it. And we need to say that. Worship is both duty and delight. God deserves our worship even if we don't feel like worshiping Him. But... That's, while we can recognize that, we recognize that there is a duty to worship regardless of our circumstances, we can also recognize that joy is a big part of worship in the Bible. And we should be coming to experience joy in worship. Worship both cultivates joy within us and it's an expression of the joy that we already have. Joy, uh, worship is a response to the joy that we receive from God. And that's what's happening in these stories when Mary just bursts forth in praise. You know, imagine if, we, imagine if we tried to attribute to Mary the kind of uh, emotional tone that sometimes we have. It's, it's really hard to, to imagine it. My soul magnifies the Lord. <laughs> my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You can't, you can't really see her doing it like that, right? There's something going on inside her. My soul magnifies the Lord. Because he's been so good to me. Glory to God. And not, not glory to God. Here's what it says. Glory to God in the highest. Right? That, that's just not, that's not the way it happens, right? But, but please understand that they worship like that because they have, they've come to know the reality of the gospel. They've come to experience this and they know it's true. And we can't worship like that unless we know the gospel like that. And so we ask the Lord to imprint on our hearts the truth of the good news. Did you notice it said, the angel said, we bring you good news of great joy. And, and, and that, that's just the gospel, right? Good news is the gospel. What if, we, what if we sometimes, you know, we talk about the gospel of the kingdom, we can talk about the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of salvation. What if sometimes we talk about the gospel of great joy? Well, that's just one way we could, we could identify the gospel. That's the gospel we proclaim. It's the gospel of Christmas. May I say to you that, that the whole gospel is joy. It is not uh, a, a temporary thing. It's not a, a, something we trot out at Christmas time and say, okay, now we'll have joy at Christmas. The whole story is joy. In fact, Luke, that we're start reading a number of the scriptures from here, starting with joy, the, the gospel finishes with joy. Let me show you this. Uh, Jesus, as he blessed them, why bless them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. This is at the very end of the Gospel of Luke. From start to finish, the gospel that we preach, the gospel that we receive, is a gospel of great joy. So I just want to say one or two things to you briefly here about joy. And the first thing is, uh, joy is a real and present experience. It's not something that we just put off to the future and wait for it. Although it's that too. But it's not just that. Joy is something 
that we experience here and now. Sometimes I'm afraid that Christians try to be more spiritual than God. You may have heard that phrase before. What if God is a happy God? What if God is a God of joy? And when we're called to be like God, what if we're called to imitate his joy along with his love and kindness and those kinds of things? Sometimes you hear people talk about this, and, and it's well-intentioned. And, and let me just preface this by saying, I'm still growing in my understanding in terms of the strict definitions of joy. I've been reading things, and uh, there, there are some complexities to it that I'm still wrestling with. But, but sometimes we, we make this distinction between being happy and being joyful. You'll hear this, uh, what Christians say. We're not, we're not about happiness, we're about joy. And maybe there's something to that. I think what we're trying to get at is that the joy we experience in, in Christ is, is meant to be based on deeper and more fundamental things. And maybe we're saying, in that context, they were viewing happiness as more of a fleeting thing, more of a superficial kind of thing. Uh, but I think we need to be careful with that, that we don't suck the joyfulness out of joy. <laughs> and we say, well, it's not happiness, it's joy. What do you mean? It's, well, I just mean that you, you know everything's going to be all right eventually. Yeah, that's, that's what we mean by joy. I mean, imagine if, that's, if that were what we were, uh, you know, somebody you know, somebody says, well, they're, they're just the most joyful person I know. Right? Now, they're not very happy, right? <laughs> Follow what I'm saying. They're not very happy, but now they're joyful, right? Because uh, they know everything's going to be all right in the long run. Right? No, there's something to do with joy that is... In those scriptures where we're talking about when these, these praises bursting forth, you know it's not just people who say, well, I'm okay. I'm all right. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's an experience. It's a felt experience of delight and gladness. At least it involves that. Experiences of feelings that make you glad to be alive. Shepherds, when they heard this announcement, they were, they were full of joy and they were happy. You know, when we talk about Christians having joy, when we talk about being happy, talk about celebrating. Let me read you something from the book of Deuteronomy. Like the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. You look at multiple places in Deuteronomy where these kind of things are, are talked about. When you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press, you shall rejoice in your feast. And God commands them to come to these feasts. But he doesn't just say, show up and pay your dues. He commands them to come and rejoice. And you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, I love, I love God's heart for the outcast and for the marginalized. The sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. You bring them all. You don't leave them out. When it's time to party, you don't leave out the people who might not can afford the things that you can afford. You bring them all. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and, and in all the work of your hands so that you will be all together joyful. Wow. That's what God wanted them to do come together and to have a big party before him in his presence. 
I'm going to read you another one of these, and I have to tell you something. I've been going back and forth in my head about whether even to read you this, because it can be abused, okay? And so I'm just going to qualify. I'm uncomfortable even reading it to you, but it, gets, it tells you something about what God, uh, God commanded the people to do and what he thinks about things, okay? So this is from Deuteronomy also. Then you shall go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money. He's talking about tithes. Spend the money for whatever you desire. Hmm. Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink. Whatever your appetite craves. Now let me just, this is why I'm qualifying this. I, I hesitate to even say this because I know I'm dealing with people in here who have struggled with addictions and who have abused substances that you shouldn't have. And so let me just say to you up front, this is not an excuse for you to do that, okay? And please do not hear anything I'm saying. You will destroy joy, both for yourself and for those around you, if you look at scriptures like this and take them as an excuse for you to go and do things that are unhealthy for you, things that you've recovered from and to go back into, things that your, your spouse, your family, you may have agreed you're never going to do again. Oh, look, the Bible says do it. No, that's not what we're talking about, okay? All right? So don't use this as an excuse for things that are simple. At the same time, if you're going to read your Bible, you're going to see this. And God is telling them to do things to rejoice, to have a big party and rejoice. And we don't have to say we're going to go out and get drunk and, and do nasty things. So we're going to, in fact, that's a, that's a terrible misunderstanding of, of what we have to do to of, of, of joyful celebration, right? To think that it has to be perverted into something nasty, right? It doesn't. But it, it is something God invites us to do, to celebrate, to eat good stuff before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns. That means bring the preacher with you. So um, just don't, don't ever forget that part, all right? We celebrate. Christians celebrate. Joy is not reducible to pleasure, okay? Especially, we're, we're thinking about pleasure as bodily-type sensations. Joy is not reducible to that. But as we have joy, we celebrate with pleasures. We celebrate by going and eating good food. Anybody ever done that in a big celebration? Go, go and eat good food? Nobody said, man, I'm going to celebrate. I've just graduated. I'm going to go pull the weeds out of the flower bed. <laughs> I have, I'm getting married, and, and I'm, I'm, we're going to celebrate. I'm going to go to the dentist. No offense, Josh, but I don't, I don't think anybody said I'm going to celebrate by going to the dentist, right? God, we need to understand this. God created the pleasures. And, and, and we do a great injustice to God when we act like we have to somehow steal those for ourselves while he's not looking. No, God created those things to be used in the appropriate places and in the appropriate ways, not to be abused. And when he gives us the deeper joys, the joy of, of salvation in him, the, the, the occasions of the, those deeper joys, we celebrate the occasions of, of, of Advent and Christmas when we think about what God has done, then we say, hey, let's, let's have a party and celebrate in holy and healthy ways. And let's remember his goodness to us. God commanded people to do that. Now, I hope everybody's following me because I, I, uh, 
like I said, I was uncomfortable even to share some of this with you, knowing the tendency that people have to abuse things and to overindulge and all of that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't go out and, and abuse alcohol or drugs or party in, in ways that are, are, are sexually devious or, you know, that kind of stuff's off limits, okay? But with the limits in place, and, and, the, and by the way, the limits are there for the good of the world too. <laughs> They're there to protect us and to provide joy and peace for us and others as well. And with those limits in place, we celebrate. And we remember God is the one who made these things. God is a good God. And he invites us to come and celebrate before him and to know the truth about him. He's not a stingy God. Where do we ever get that idea? That if we want good stuff, we have, somehow have to steal away and get it when God's not looking. He's the creator of everything good. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. And he didn't just mean try to be okay. Make up your mind that you're going to be all right in the end. That's not what it is. I think N.T. Wright translates that. Celebrate. Celebrate in the Lord. Has it ever occurred to you that in order to be faithful to God, you may have to cultivate more joy in your life? C.S. Lewis said something like, uh, we probably sin more by disobeying the command to rejoice than any other, any other command that we disobey. And I've told you before, I can't remember who says this, but somebody, somebody said one day we'll have to give an account to God for all the good things we have failed to enjoy. What if to be faithful to God, you need to loosen up a little bit? What if to be faithful to God, you need to stop taking yourself so seriously, stop telling yourself things are so bad, and party a little bit. I don't mean bad partying, okay? I mean celebrating before, I mean what the Bible says. Get before the Lord with thanksgiving and celebrate. What if the world saw more Christians with that kind of freedom and joy? What would result from that? I'm going to tell you what would result from that. More Christians would result from that. Andrew Murray, Brother Terry mentioned Andrew Murray uh, just uh, at the beginning of the service. He says, there's no preaching so persuasive as the sight of hearts made glad. And people see hearts made glad coming from another source, and they say, where'd you get that? I would like that. William Lane Craig, some of you may know his name. Uh, perhaps the greatest Christian debater, Christian apologist alive today. Brilliant man. And I'm going to, I heard this story a long time, I heard him tell this story a long time ago, and I, I won't get all the details right, but uh, he was not a Christian, at least not much of one. Uh, he may have had some kind of faith, but uh, no, it really wasn't much. He was in class, I believe it was like junior high or high school classroom, and there was this girl in his class, and she was just happy. And uh, one day he, he asked her something like, you know, what's going on with you? Why are you so happy? And she said, well, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and that's why I'm happy. And eventually, I don't remember all the details, but eventually that relationship 
was part of, if not the central thing, in leading Craig to Christ. And I think he called her up and said, hey, I've found what you're talking about. And uh, years later, Craig was telling this story, and I heard him tell it. Uh, this lady's son was in a Bible class at a school, a Christian school, I guess, in a Bible class, and they were doing one of William Glenn Craig's books, and the son spoke up and said, hey, my mom, she, she led that guy to Christ. And the teacher wouldn't believe him. <laughs> She's like, no, no, whatever. You know, um, uh, this guy who has defended the faith across the world for decades now, he came to Christ because there was a girl in his class who was filled with a joy that he didn't understand. What about you and the witness you're bringing to the world around you? Are they seeing a joy that they don't understand? More Christians will, rejo- will result when Christians themselves enter into the joy of the Lord more fully. Well, I want to say one other thing briefly, and then we'll wrap this up. Our joy in Christ is tied to our expectations of the future. So we rejoice in hope. That's what, that's what Romans 12 says. We're rejoicing in hope. Do you notice in the stories that we read, all this joy happens, and uh, nothing's really changed. Charles, you, you were pointing this out in the class this morning. These annou- this announcement comes, but the situation is still the same, largely, for everybody around there. And yet joy has entered because hope has come. And somehow our joy is tied to hope. Human beings are just like this. We can't live without thinking about the future. We're always kind of in motion in our minds, moving towards the future, one way or the other, either with dread or with the happy anticipation. And when we don't have a happy anticipation, then we're in a bad situation. Either we're just full of dread or we distract ourselves. And we might even think about how... how uh, an option, a different option would be, instead of rejoicing in hope, you have rejoicing in pleasures. And I wonder if that's a good description of what happens with the world. Uh, we end up, or people end up, seeking to fill themselves with pleasure, and pleasure in that context becomes just a distraction from the problems, from the difficulties that are uh, being faced in life, from the difficulties uh, uh, the difficult feeling of the future being so dark and, and painful. But Christians have a different story. We have an announcement, and it tells us to get our hopes up. It tells us that the future is bright. When we seek to have a joy, when we seek to have our lives filled apart from that, and we say, oh, I've got to grab onto something, and then we grab onto pleasures and say, oh, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, keep my mind off what's coming, not go there, but I'll just I'll do this right now. Then what we do is we drain that well dry. We squeeze that sponge out until there's nothing left. And we wake up one day and we're like, was that all there was? Because we know deep down we're made for something more. A deeper, sustaining place for joy that will delight us, not just now, but for all eternity. 
C.S. Lewis, I mentioned him just a moment ago, perhaps the most influential Christian of the 20th century. Lewis was a militant atheist, and he was opposed to Christ. He did not want anyone bringing him uh, the knowledge of God. He tried, I mean, he, he talks to himself being the most reluctant convert. When he finally gave in and admitted where his reason was leading him, he called himself the most reluctant convert in all of England. He didn't want to believe. But Lewis's life was uh, overshadowed by deep longings from the time he was a child. Longings for something more. And, he, and he, he tried to identify, he tried to figure out how he could grasp hold of these things. Because the longing for, for something internal and beautiful and good that he felt and he couldn't quite get a hold of. And, and when he tried to grab it, it would disappear. And he, he, talks about, he talks about this in his biography. Long, long story short, eventually uh, Lewis identified that longing itself with joy. Now, that's a different, that's a little bit peculiar definition of joy, but he said that longing is for something this, this world won't satisfy. And he came up with an argument for God's existence, actually, a, a really clever argument for God's existence that, that's based on this longing, this deep human desire for something more. He said nothing in this world satisfies us, and it indicates that we're, we're made for another world, where eventually the deep longings of the human heart will be satisfied. Right? And ultimately, Lewis came to, came to God, recognized that his his longing was for uh, something that was real, and it was meant to be fulfilled. And I tell you all that story because I want to share with you the title of his autobiography. And you know what it was? Surprised by Joy. Now, he's using joy a little bit differently than we've been talking about, but I want to say to you is that that's every Christian story. That's what it's supposed to be. It's the Christmas story. Our world is surprised by joy. And I want to say to you, ultimately, like Lewis, Lewis argued, that we're made for a joy that we can't even begin to comprehend. We only taste a little bit of it here. And, and those tastes that we get draw us towards heaven, draw us towards eternity with God. But as we move towards that, the joy, maybe we call it the lowercase joy, the, the little taste of joy, that, that smaller joy, that comes into our life more and more. As our future is secure, as our love is secure, as our heart is pointing in the right direction, as we begin to fill our hearts with what we are made for, joy in that sense comes into our lives even now. Of course, we won't, we won't have it to the fullness that we'll have it one day, but even now we start to taste and experience the joy of heaven. We're surprised by joy. So here's what I want to say to you in closing. What if you're here right now and life is really hard? I know that's true for a lot of you. I know that's true in the Christmas season. For some people, it just brings up a lot of bad stuff and loneliness and pain. I'm going to tell you what you do if that's you, okay? You light the hope candle. You light the hope candle, and you hang on to that. And you know, and I can bear witness to this myself personally, 
you know that there is a God who cares. There is a God who makes promises, and he will keep them. And one day you will find yourself with, and you will find yourself with more joy than you thought was possible. And that's just going to be a taste of what you're going to have for all eternity. So if you're in here struggling today, light that hope candle and keep lighting it and let it burn, let it burn brighter. And know that there is a God who has surprised the world in the past, and he's going to keep surprising this world with joy.